Hello, my name is Richie Cunningham, and I am the host of this podcast. Uh, This particular podcast is about how to get on up the leadership ladder, really for people starting out or looking for their first promotion. If you want to be promoted and take up a leadership position, you have to spend some time just thinking about your future. I would advise you to write down uh, what you would like to experience in your career, sketching out each stage and think about the route you might take towards this ultimate destination. This, in my view, is the first stage of visualising your career goals. And your early career is when colleagues form opinions about your abilities, skills and reputation. If your colleagues and bosses form positive opinions about you, then you're ready to consider the next move. Here are a few uh, suggestions. Firstly, I must make it very clear, when I started training as a teacher, I wanted to be a head teacher. Now, I don't know if that is an admirable or an arrogant uh, aspect of my career, But it was my goal from the start. And by way of explanation, the only experience I had drawn was as a pupil in seven schools in three different countries. As my parents moved around the United Kingdom, as he moved, uh, my father moved up the corporate ladder. As the oldest of their children, I changed schools rather more than would have been ideal for any child. I seem to be regularly adjusting to changes as I move between schools, all of which had a very different character. And the head teachers I came into contact with were also very, very different. And as I, as I felt as a pupil, um, the head teacher's influence on the school character you know, had an insignificant impact. Now, if anyone asked, I was quite happy to say I wanted to be a head teacher and was looking for promotion as soon as I was ready. And I suppose that honesty in the 1970s tended to be, be viewed a bit sceptically. And most colleagues would have probably said to themselves, who does he think he is? Um, it didn't hold me back in any way. And I would advise anyone aspiring to be a leader you know, not to be shy and say out loud that they want to lead. Admitting ambition is the first stage in visualising your goals. And I have a strong belief that visualising a goal in life is helpful. It gives a clarity of purpose and it makes success, in my view, more likely. Although I had a clear aim of getting to be a head teacher by the time I was 40, I didn't have a proper route map of any sort planned. And in the end, I didn't take a traditional route through successive promoted posts in schools. Indeed, I spent seven years working in education outward schools. I merely applied for posts that interested me and found myself being interviewed for a head teacher's role via a roundabout route. My view is ambitious staff should volunteer for opportunities when they arise. Most head teachers will only be too happy to find someone that wants to work on something that others want to avoid. Sometimes because 
it is difficult or it involves risk. Trying something new and risky is when you learn the most about yourself and the institution you work for. It's often difficult to speak out in meetings as a junior member of staff. But if you have something useful to say, you'll only do yourself and members of your team a disservice by self-censoring. If you find it intimidating, run your thoughts past a senior member of your team for support and advice in advance of making a contribution. They may be able to help bring you into the discussion. Always seek feedback. All the time you are unpromoted, you should be learning and preparing for the next step. Solicit feedback about your work. And don't wait for annual reviews, which tend to be fairly sanitised. If you really want to improve, you need to dig out any negative feedback and work to improve. The negative feedback will be the most use to you. Don't take it personally, but look on it as a gift which helps you to improve. This is why volunteering for additional unpaid duties can be so important as these will stretch you, and you'll learn more by being involved. However, as a note of caution, don't volunteer for anything and everything. Assess the tasks that you can take on with a reasonable chance of success, without impacting on your core work. And it also helps if you're genuinely interested in the tasks you are volunteering for. Don't let enthusiasm to help detract from the time you need to devote to your teaching, your core work. I would also advise you share the work you're doing. If you're willing to put a lot of extra effort into additional duties, it makes sense to do them to the highest possible standard. And if they are worthy of sharing, do so. Don't hide your work. Seek review from others and use this to improve on it further. In my first two years as a teacher, I volunteered to get involved in some educational research with external researchers. I thought it would be interesting. Didn't realise it would be notable on my CV. Certainly not as much as it did. I enjoyed the work. So much so that I put a lot of effort into writing assessment materials for useful pupils. I prepared them to a much higher level of professional presentation than was usual at the time for normal assessments. Little realising that it made them more easily published. And I was then asked to write accompanying articles to explain their use. Suddenly the audience for a very small part of my work was national and international, rather than just my own school. All just by accident. Another example of work sharing is purposely publishing your work. The first piece of work I had published was an audiovisual presentation I had prepared for my own classroom. I did this in my second year of teaching. It does take quite a bit more time to write something to a publisher standard so that people will pay money for it. The advantage is your work has a wider audience 
and incidentally you get some payment for it. Although you'll not get rich publishing for the educational market. These examples of sharing work are not everyone's cup of tea. But there are always opportunities in an organisation to shine beyond the core of your essential work. The next piece of advice I would give is commit yourself to the work. I have never understood the minimalist approach to working. Getting to work just in time and leaving at the first opportunity. If you are always clock watching and doing the bare minimum, you shouldn't expect to get promoted. Anyone wanting to get on at work has to bring their whole self to that work. What I mean is that you have to realise work is not just a series of mechanical processes. You are connecting with people and working in teams, and that involves making a real human connection, giving at least a little of yourself. Colleagues who play together work better together. The mutual support of colleagues gives each other a little extra. It helps to cement the teamwork that is so important in making progress in any organisation. Many aspiring leaders are prepared to go the extra mile, but it's also important to strike an appropriate work-life balance if you hope to sustain a leadership position in the long term. Well-rounded teachers and head teachers have a life out of school. The next piece of advice I would give is do the core job well. You are employed to teach and help young people achieve the best qualifications they can. You can expect to have your examination results examined and compared against other staff. The way you teach, the response you get from students and their results all contribute to your reputation in the school. If you teach in a non-core subject, then the number of students choosing your subject may also impact on your reputation. I found that teaching success comes from two complementary approaches to teaching. Firstly, making your teaching interesting and focused. And also, that focus has to be on what is necessary to achieve exam results. The two are not the same. I have come across some popular and interesting teachers who just don't get the exam results their students deserve. Some teachers are good at getting exam results but have a very limited range of teaching methods, which can make their lessons a bit on the dull side. I would Always advise striving for a happy medium. Never lose sight of the fact your students want to do well and achieve qualifications, but make your teaching as enjoyable and participative as possible. Students who enjoy your classes and have regularly engaged with them will remember and learn better. In order to do that core job well, it's worth reflecting on a few simple tips that I would offer anyone new to teaching. Firstly, establish simple classroom rules that you expect pupils to follow and you will enforce. In well-run schools, classroom rules are common to all classrooms and part of its behaviour management policy. Firm, fair, 
and consistency are what you are aiming for. Get advice from colleagues on what worked well in the classroom. Build up your arsenal of techniques. Keep your individuality and sense of humour. You are building relationships in any classroom situation. Don't worry if your lessons don't all go according to plan. Be prepared to stop and do something else instead. Always have a few short tasks up your sleeve to call on at short notice. You never know when you have to fill five minutes while you're doing something else in a classroom. Give your lessons a structure. Outline the aims, teach and then review the success of those aims. And lastly, keep a stationary supply in your classroom. Sadly, pupils forget pens and pencils, etc. and it shouldn't hold up the lesson. The next piece of advice I would give is develop yourself. Don't wait for opportunities to be handed to you. Look for opportunities to develop yourself professionally and learn new skills. When I started teaching, I wanted to learn about pupil support and curricular changes in my subject area. But there were no training opportunities offered by my school or local authority. So I decided to seek out courses I could apply for myself. There was no internet then, so the search was the old-fashioned way on paper. I found evening courses in other local authorities that I was interested in attending, and so I wrote to the people organising the courses asking to join, offering to pay my own way if required. As it happened, I was welcome to the courses and only had to cover my own travel expenses. I also applied to colleges of education for courses and school holidays to widen my skill base. In the absence of any provided professional development, I sought it out. Nowadays, you are less likely to have access to training as restricted, but um, if you can't find the opportunities you're looking for in school or local authority, they're not offering things you're interested in, there is nothing to stop you helping yourself. Undertaking online university or college courses, for example. Schools will expect all members of staff to train in order to be able to contribute towards the school's priorities. But these won't always meet your own individual needs. Identify new skills or knowledge you want to pursue and discuss best to meet these aspirations with your line manager. Now that's just an introduction to some of the things that might help you plan for that first stage, getting on the ladder. If you want to find out more about uh, advice, how to get on in school, move up the promoted structure, how to prepare for interviews, things of that sort, I suggest you have a look at my book, Leading, by Richie Cunningham. It's available on Amazon, both as an e-book and as a paperback. In the meantime, goodbye.